everybody, and welcome to Over the Hump, the podcast that aims to provide you with a dose of midweek motivation to finish your week off strong. I'm your host, Christopher Morgan. Please feel free to call me Chris. And this is episode number 17, Embracing Uncertainty. In this episode, we have the opportunity to speak with Andre Ferrand. Not too long ago, Andre explored the option of embracing uncertainty and made the decision to travel abroad to fuel his desire to experience the world. Join us as we discuss the events that led to his decision and discuss the hows behind exploring options and loosening the grips of the golden handcuffs. Enjoy. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us yet again for another episode. I am here with uh, a longtime connection, Mr. Andre Ferrand. And um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's good to see it. We connected lot, not too long ago in Ottawa, face to face, just to talk about what this episode could look like and really just catch up on his amazing journey. I'm obviously not going to um, steal all the thunder. I'll let him take care of that uh, on his own. Um, but it was very nice to see him. And it's, it's only now that I'm realizing, Andre, I think we've known each other for quite some time, right? Like, how long has it been? I, I think we even talked about it. Um... I mean, it's, it's been more than 15 years, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's been about 15 years or maybe, you know, a year or two more. Like, it could be like 16, 17, something like that. It is crazy how time just passes. And it's, I, I feel like once you kind of hit a certain threshold in age, time just condenses and everything just happens super quickly. So, yeah, over a decade, that's where we're at. But, uh, yeah, we'll jump into it. So, um Andre, if you could do us the uh, honor and pleasure of just introducing yourself and letting us know what you do. Sure. Well, um, so I teach English abroad. And uh, so it's something that, you know, a lot of people already know about. A lot of people have done, especially in places like um, Korea and and China is now the sort of uh, the new sort of place where a lot of people get started. But usually people do it for maybe a year, maybe two, something like that. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, pay off school debt or some other debt, um, put a down payment on a house, you know, make some quick cash kind of deal. Uh, but I have actually decided to make it sort of a, well, a career. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. say it's, it still doesn't feel like a career, you know, I mean, it's not one of those things where you go to your high school counselor and like, well, you could be a, you know, a teacher of English uh, living abroad. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, what it is uh, in my case. All right, fantastic. So um, you have the best story in terms of how you got there. So obviously, you know, if let us know the journey of how you actually got to doing what you do now. Yeah, so the way that I usually put it is that it, it's, it's very cliched. Uh, you know, I'm almost living a, a sort of cliche, the type of thing that you'd see in a movie and you'd think, Ah, uh, come on, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was actually working that typical, well, typical in movies and stuff, corporate life. Yeah, you know, one of those nine to fives, wearing a suit and a tie, and pretty decent salary and great benefits, and in my case, fantastic supervisor, and you know all that kind of stuff. But you know, you don't have that sense of accomplishment, and you don't have that sense of really enjoying what you do and it really wasn't a job for me um it was just a really bad fit as far as that's concerned 
great company to work for, great job for someone who has studied that type of stuff or who's wanted to get into that industry. But for me, it just, it wasn't it. But, you know, it was this giant corporation. And um, one day the president of the Canadian offices, uh, which, you know, it's not, again, it's not one of these baseless things. Like I knew the president, really good guy, Sean. And uh, he decides that he wants to bring in one of these uh, efficiency experts and um, uh, out of Connecticut. And, um, her, you know, his view wasn't that we were inefficient. It was also to sort of try to see how we could be more efficient, but also happier at work and all this kind of stuff. So this lady, um, I think it was Catherine, it might have been Carolyn. If it was, I'm going to call her Catherine. If it was Carolyn, I'm sorry, Carolyn. Um, but she sends in these, um, uh, basically just these questionnaires and we had to answer about our feelings towards work and what we do and how, you know, how we enjoy it. And, and then we also had to do it for each other. So I filled one out for my supervisor and she filled one out for me. And I mean, there was only like four of us in the office. So it wasn't like this really big circle jerk or whatever. It was, you know, it was a pretty tight thing. And, um, then what she would do is analyze all of our answers and then we would have a one-on-one -on -one phone call with her she like i said she was in the u.s and um she would give us some advice as to how we could be more efficient and happier at work uh so i was extremely honest i knew that this was entirely um confidential and so i i was very blunt with my answers and i had been there five years by then but for two years at that point i'd been looking for something else uh, I just hadn't really found anything that wasn't, that didn't feel like it would have been a lateral move. Um, so finally, I got my phone call, my phone call with Catherine or maybe Carolyn. And um, so the first thing she does is she asks me, how do you describe your job to other people when you meet someone for the first time? And I said, well, I don't really, you know, I just kind of, you know, just tell them that it's kind of a boring job and that, you know, it's not really something that we, you know, want to talk about or whatever. And I kind of changed the subject. And uh, sometimes I was, you know, vague answer like, oh, it's an insurance or something like that, which it was. I wasn't, you know, lying. Um, and then she asks a few more questions. And after a while, she says, okay, in 12 years of doing this, I have never said this before to someone, but in your case, I think that for you to be more efficient and happier at work, you should quit. And, you know, I'm sitting in this little office, this little boardroom alone, um, you know, with one of these little, you know, those little sort of machines that, that they're like a speaker box, you know, it's like, I'm not holding the phone up to my face. And I think my reaction was something along the lines of, okay. Um, and, uh, and then she says, not only should you quit, but you should not go directly to another job. You know, she said that you should take some time off because your view towards work in general is toxic. That was her word. And you would bring that with you, even if you went off to your dream job. And that was something I had never even considered as a possibility. I was kind of, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but <laughs> my, my view was always that you do not leave a job until you've got something else lined up. Mm -hmm. So the idea of leaving this job, you know, hence spending two years trying to find something else. So the idea of actually leaving without something lined up, it was, you know, that that was an impossibility. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't even, you might as well have told me, you know what, you should move to the moon. 
like it wasn't it wasn't something that I could even consider. But then when she mentioned that right away, my brain was just like, hey, yeah, you've got some savings. You know, you've got money. You've got no obligations. You've got no kids. You don't have a, you know, a, a, you don't have a car. You don't even have car payments, you know. And so right away, it just started to, to sink in that I've got this other option, um, you know, a much more uncertain one. But at this point, the, 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 the certainty was that I was bored at work and I wasn't happy and that, you know, I, I, I would be better off elsewhere. And here's this expert telling me so. Um, so we talked about it a little more and, you know, she, she, she acknowledged, she's like, this is not what I've been hired to do here. You know, I'm not supposed to be chasing you away. So she gave me a few other pointers, ways that I could maybe, um, you know, enjoy my work more, but they were all things I had already tried um, over the course of those five years. And so that's what I did. I ended up quitting and then I went to travel and I traveled for two months, which was the longest I had ever done. I mean, a lot of people in their twenties and stuff have done this, but um, in my case, I'd always traveled in that sort of week or two week long kind of thing that nine to five jobs typically allow you. Um, and while I was traveling, um, I met up with a friend from the UK who lived in Spain. So I was in Barcelona and she knew she had taught abroad, like she, well, that's what she was doing. She had taught in Turkey as well and other places. And I was telling her, this was only a week into my travels and I was telling her the story and I said, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do when I get back though. You know, I, I don't have a line on anything. I have no clue. And she knew that I had tried the teaching abroad thing like a decade ago, but I didn't really love it. And she just kind of offhand just said, well, you can teach abroad again. And I said, yeah, well, you know, the market's changed a lot. And these days you need like one of those teaching English as a foreign language sort of, you know, certificates for most places. And she says, well, you could get one. <laughs> and I didn't really think too much of it. We changed the subject and talked about other stuff. And then, but I guess it just kind of hung out in the back of my mind. And when I was closing in on the end of my trip, I told my parents about this, fully expecting them to be like, Andre, you're about to turn 37. Uh, you tried that 10 years ago. It didn't, you didn't really enjoy it. Maybe you should actually buckle down and get something that, you know, makes sense. But instead, like, and I think that's kind of what I was not hoping, but I was expecting it. And I figured, well, once they say that, I can just say, oh yeah, let's put that to, put that to rest and, and focus on something else. Instead, they come back and I'm still in France at this point, And then they come back and they say, we both think that's a great idea. So on my birthday, my 37th birthday, I signed up for a TEFL course. And uh, once I was back in Canada, I did that. And then I started looking and um, yeah, I settled on uh, Bangkok for my first, uh, first contract. And that was um, over three years ago now. That is so... Awesome. It's like you never, you can never truly anticipate the things that life are going to throw at you, right? So I, I really appreciate the story for a couple reasons. This, this Catherine, I think, um, outlined and really focused on a couple things that I think are paramount to people's success. I think the first thing is that you describe your relationship with your role and with your work as, you know, as really just bored. It started off as boredom, um, but then she described it as toxic, which is interesting because it probably truly just started off as I can do this to pay the bills 
and you know what there's great benefits and all this stuff so i'll make it work and you know what a little bit of boredom is not such a bad thing but over time the possibility of things festering and it gets lost on you truly your relationship and um and i guess just how how um, not content you are with your situation does turn into something else um, without you knowing. And she was able to point that out. So I'm sure when she said that you were like, Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And she even, you know, she came back to that first question, which was how do you describe your job? Mm. And she said, you know, it, that was the wish with my answer to that first question is she told me that's when she decided to tell me to leave because you know, you can't go through life where you don't even want to talk about something that you do eight mm -hmm. hours a day. You know, this is a part of your, of, whether you like it or not, your career, your job is kind of part of your identity and a fairly large one. And you're skipping over it. You know, like it's, it's, it's something that you view as not even worth mentioning. And what you talked about just now, as far as, you know, the, the, the benefits and all those kind of things where you kind of do that trade off that's what she referred to as, you know, the golden handcuffs, where you, you kind of get used to a certain lifestyle, or you just kind of view it as, well, this is this is what it is. And at least I'm getting some money and stability out of it. And a lot of people don't have that. So who am I to kind of complain? And you kind of feel like you can't really move out of that, because, well, it, it maybe isn't justified. Or in my case, what I found was that I ended up buying a lot of stuff that I didn't need. Um, and part of it was, you know, that what they call retail therapy and just making myself feel better. But it was also a feeling of the only thing I'm really getting out of this particular job is money. You know, I'm, I'm getting a good salary. So if I don't spend it, well, then what's, what's the point? You know, I'm not, it's, I'm, I'm not doing this to save up for retirement, you know? Um, so, so I've got to, so I'd go out almost every day and just buy something just to make it feel like, well, this was worth it. You know, I, I got this bottle of scotch. That's cool. Uh, you know, I had a really nice apartment, you know, I mean, it was, it was a really well appointed place. I got to say, but at the same time, yeah, in the end, like it's, it, it, you know, in the end, it, it isn't necessarily a, a good trade off for some people it is. Um, but for me, it clearly wasn't. And to her credit, Catherine or maybe Carolyn, she definitely picked up on it. So, uh, you know, I got to say, like, she was she was dead on. Well, first off, I love the golden handcuffs because I, I, I think that's a phenomenon that isn't just unique to you. I've been in that situation before. I think a lot of people go through that. And I feel like a lot of times in your adulthood, once you've reached past a certain threshold, you forget about your options. And you talked about that. And, you know, it is one of those things where you are, I think you, you refer to it as being in, um, indoctrinated in the, in the belief that you never leave a job without having another one. So everybody kind of operates within this binary of, okay, well, option A is I have something. I may not be happy. It's paying me. It's making me you know, afford all of these like luxuries and I got a nice apartment. I don't love it, but until I find something else, which is option B, I'm probably going to stick with option A. And all too often we forgot that there is option C, D, E. Um, it's just, we don't know what they are and they embrace uncertainty, uncertainty. Um, 
and we don't go there because, you know, when things are uncertain and the answer isn't so clear, um, obviously, you know, the fear sets in and we just, we don't even consider those as options, but those options are always there and you decided to go explore and jump on that. And I, I, I think there's always, what I love about your story is that, you know, I truly believe that most people find the answers to what they need in life on the inside. Just sometimes you need to escape the environment that you're currently in and really just go somewhere else and have a new external environment kind of like give way to what you really feel or think and just re-energize you in a way to try something else. And that's what you did. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, I... I want to make it clear that this isn't one of these like eat, pray, love kind of like, Oh, you know what society tells us we're supposed to do of like getting the career and the job and, or, or, and the house and the car and the three kids and the dog and that that's so wrong. And, you know, you should just go out there and, and live your best life. I'm not saying that, you know, for some people that is the best life, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not an influencer in any shape or form. I'm not trying to say, you know, all of this is a lie and, you know, you should, you should get out there and, and, and have adventures and take a risk and all that. You know, if, if you are happy with your house <laughs> and with your, with your kids and holy God, I hope you're happy with your kids. But, you know, if you're happy with that and it doesn't feel like, you know, like handcuffs all the time, that's, that's great. But I think you, you really, you hit the nail on the head in a, in a sense of knowing that there are those other options. If it happens that options A or B just don't feel right for you personally. Um, you know, if, if option A works for you, fantastic. Yeah, I, I used to really envy people who from like high school knew what they wanted to be, you know, and then they just worked towards that. And then they got to that and then they, just lived it you know and I thought that is fantastic like I love that you know I, I would love that because um, most of my time was just spent wandering around trying to figure out what is a for, for you know like I, I didn't even know what option a was I couldn't figure that out so let alone c and d and and you know xyz so um, yeah I, I just want to make that clear because I think there's there's so much of that especially you know instagram and, and just social media in, in general but also movies you know i mean if, if they want to portray the boring guy he's always the guy with the the sensible car and sensible shoes and sensible house and all this and the the fun guy is the guy who goes off and and lives semi-irresponsibly and i i don't want to sort of give that impression that I'm, I'm trying to kind of convince you of anything uh other than yeah, you know, I mean, there are those other options. And uncertainty definitely is one. And I think that regardless of whether you are happy with, you know, whether you've embraced option A, um, but welcoming some uncertainty, um, once in a while at least, even if it's on a, a, a smaller scale, um, can be of real value simply because it does kind of allow you to learn how to be comfortable with discomfort in, in that, especially when it comes to uncertainty. So that when situations like, you know, for the people in the future listening to this, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. And so, you know, when something like this happens, um, you know, if your entire life has been kind of controlled and very certain, well then when uncertainty is essentially 
foisted on you, which by definition, that's kind of baked into uncertainty, right? Um, well, you can roll with it a lot easier if you've, if you've actually allowed it in once in a while in, in a slightly more controlled manner. Um, but in my case, I don't know, I found out that I actually kind of thrive on it. Uh, so I literally don't know what I'll be doing or even where I'll be living in like six months from now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, that's, <laughs> that's my life now. Uh, so I'm not saying embrace that kind of thing, especially if you have the kids, don't do that. But, you know, embracing a little bit of uncertainty once in a while, uh, allowing that in, welcoming it in. Um, yeah, I think that that can be of real value. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, because you're right. It's it's one of those things. I think it's important to to entertain your options and just look outside of of the convention because there's probably more there if you use a little bit of your imagination. And um, I think there's another good part of that story as well too, where you kind of just had some really great conversations with some friends that inspired some of these other options, which is really neat, right? Um, you mentioned that um, you know what you had learned. Uh, throughout this process is that you kind of have now um, an elevated positive relationship with discomfort. What else would you say that you've learned about yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. There's the, the discomfort aspect. Um, I think the other thing is, is how much I do um enjoy that sort of aspect of uncertainty of not knowing one of the things that was so difficult with my last job with the job I talked about before was that uh, you know Monday in 2015 felt exactly like Monday in 2017 um, uh -huh. so, you know if you ask me well what what will you be doing in three years from now on this day uh, it literally could be the exact same thing um, so that that actual, that sort of stability had become monotony. Um, that for me, you know, was just, just, yeah, really quite disheartening. Whereas now, like I said, you know, there's so much uncertainty and sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, but at the same time, it means that every day, especially in a place like Bangkok, every day feels like an adventure, you know, crossing mm -hmm. the road can be an adventure. Um, so, that is definitely something that I never, I didn't know to which extent I would enjoy that kind of thing on an, on an even daily basis. Uh, the other thing is chaos. Uh, and I don't mean chaos necessarily in the, I mean chaos more in the sort of crazy traffic and just craziness and that kind of thing. You know, I always thought of my, I was raised out in the woods <laughs> and I always thought that I was more of a sort of country camping kind of quiet cottage kind of person small towns were more what I was I even remember when I first accepted the job to Bangkok um, they put me in touch with a guy who uh, was already there and had taught at two schools between which I had to choose and um, and I was they were two different neighborhoods and I remember asking him like well is one of the neighborhoods a little bit quieter and he was like well it, it's Bangkok, you know, I mean, like, you're, there's no, <laughs> there's no such thing, like, it might be a little bit, but it, it, it's not really going to make that much of a difference. And I was really kind of concerned about that until I got there um, and loved it, you know, and, and, and just to me, it was like that chaos, that, that sort of crazy energy um, 
you know, that lived in kind of energy because it was an energy that was, you know, it was entirely natural. It was, it really was born of, um, of the way people live. Uh, so it wasn't manufactured the way that it could be on, I don't know, like Bourbon Street or uh, something like that, you know, where we were talking about just how people live just created this kind of chaos. Um, and I found that when I went on to my third contract, which was in Busan, South Korea, I remember getting there and thinking, oh, I've, I've made a terrible mistake. Um, <laughs> because it just seemed so quiet and so dead. Like, it was a Saturday morning when I arrived and I'm looking outside and I'm thinking like, it's like post-apocalyptic. And compared to Montreal or Toronto or Ottawa, it, it's on par, uh, you know, at least. But compared to Bangkok, it was sedate. And so I realized quite quickly how much I really enjoyed that, that sort of energy. So cities like that, like Manila and Jakarta, and, and you know, those are other cities where I, I really kind of felt that same sort of crazy energy. I, you know, I refer to it as, um, oh, I'll, I'll keep it PG, but the WTF moment, you know, or what the hell moment. Um, and you know, in a place like Bangkok, I could walk three blocks and I would come across, I don't know, two or three what the hell moments. And I mean moments as in the type of stuff that actually makes you stop and think, what the hell? And actually want to keep it in mind so that you can tell your family and friends about it. Like you won't believe what I, I just saw a guy getting chased by a chicken down a major street. Whereas Busan, I kind of felt like I could walk clear across the city and maybe if I'm lucky, I'll see one what the hell moment and probably some weird animal in a fish tank. So, you know, to me, it was one of those things where I, I discovered just how much I loved those what the hell moments. Right. Um, yeah, awesome. I think, you know what we'll do? This is this is great dialogue. I want to jump into it and I want to ask you some of the lightning round questions because I think there's uh, going to be a, a lot of great takeaways for everybody in the responses. So are you ready, my friend? Sweet. All right. So question number one is uh, the number one thing you do in the morning to set your day up for success is? Um, have some coffee. Like I'm super boring answer. But uh, yeah, coffee. And I do. I am one of those people who eats breakfast every day. Okay, perfect, perfect. I think there's um, there's a lot to be said for for routine, and it's funny. There's there's something in that because I was reading there was some magazine. I can't remember the magazine that I was reading, which is probably a good thing because then I'm not mentioning names of magazines, and you guys think that I'm like working for a particular magazine. But it was it was um, conversations with a whole bunch of really successful executives, and I would say nine out of ten of them drank coffee. It was this weird thing. I mean, I can't. I'm a high strung dude. I don't think I can actually drink coffee. I'm a tea guy, but it's definitely something that uh, that I noticed. All right, question number two. I think that was the uh, I think that was the March issue of Seventeen magazine. Actually, oh. yeah, I think it was Zach Efron on the cover. <laughs> You're a subscriber, right? He's gonna be next on the uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> uh, question number two. One word or thing that you would say has helped you find success in uh, the, the success that you've had in your work or life. Uh, yeah, that one's pretty easy. Um, as much as possible, it's zero expectations. Okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to hold to that in all things all the time, but as much as possible, I do try to subscribe to that um, in as many aspects of my life as possible. 
I like that. I like the fact that, um, you know, I think what you're trying to say is that having no expectations um, of whatever positive outcome means that you're you're open to whatever comes next and you're not easily defeated. So I think that's an interesting, um, you know, an interesting response. Yeah. I mean, it is like part of it is kind of just rolling with it and just going with whatever comes but yeah exactly it is very much like you said it is sort of taking the positive and that oftentimes what we consider a negative is really just unmet expectations where we you know we're expecting a certain you know we're expecting either uh you know a date to turn into a long-lasting relationship or we're expecting an interview to turn into a job or we're you know all of these different things but if you just don't really expect anything as much as possible um and you know from from travel as well uh, you do your research and you figure out what what would be interesting but there's so much you can't control so if you just kind of go and just expect to just you know expect nothing from the place necessarily and just let it be what it is and you take it in as much as you can then you know if that museum that you read about is closed well then it's not that big of a deal mm-hmm yeah, I love that. All right, number three is a, is a fill in the blank. So life isn't life if you're not. Uh, I mean, the first word that came to mind was like traveling, but I think that's wrong. Like, I think that's, kind of, you know what? I think more exploring okay. would be would be better. Uh, you know, for me, oftentimes that is more of a physical thing of actually going somewhere and exploring it for myself. Um, <laughs> I don't mean like Indiana Jones style discovering new places um, but yeah I think that exploring can obviously can be you know so many other things including just you know exploring another person exploring another hobby exploring another skill explore you know whatever uh, the new season of Umbrella Academy if you want I don't care but you know it's uh, um, yeah I think that's what it would be okay I love that and the final question is one habit that you would recommend to drop immediately that would improve the lives of others. Oh, that's a good one. Um, one habit that, uh, you know what? It's worrying too much, uh, especially when it comes, and this comes with cer certain caveats, of course, but one thing that I, I, I guess it's, um, I guess it comes back to the whole expectations thing. But especially when it comes to negative things that you've heard or read about a place in particular, like that's, I think, something that, you know, I've kind of made an effort to try to go to places that I don't know very much about. And oftentimes those places are places that have a certain negative connotation or negative reputation. And then you get there and you find out that, okay, maybe there's, I can see why that negative reputation exists, but because of that, you know, people are missing out on all of this other positive stuff. So obviously within reasonable bounds of safety, um, but definitely I would say that, you know, don't always believe all of that, the negative stuff that you hear and especially try to kind of turn it around on something that you are familiar with. So, you know, if you hear that there's like, I don't know, a, a, a terrible tragedy takes place in, this one country that's got sort of a, a, a lesser reputation. And so you write it off because, oh my God, it's too dangerous. 
let's use, you know, something like Mexico, you know, you hear like, oh, someone was murdered in this part of Mexico. And so you write it off, but then, you know, how many people, you know, someone gets murdered in DC and you're not telling people not to come to Canada, you know? And I, I think that we're sometimes a little too quick to, to do that. Um, I mean, obviously there's, there's all kinds of reasons for it. Um, you know, we rarely do it with countries where it's, predominantly white you know and all this kind of stuff but yeah for sure that would be one of those things is do a little bit more research be a little bit more open uh, you know the fantastic thing too is that these days with instagram and facebook but especially i've used instagram for this especially is that you can find people who have been to these places and actually ask them i've literally had people when i would ask them about a certain place and they would say things like don't believe you know, the negative stories about that place. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just don't believe it. Like they know that this stuff is out there. And um, yeah, you can, you know, you can find people who are actually there. And in many cases, when I went to Bangladesh, I found like a local photographer who was willing to meet up with me and show me his favorite spots in Dhaka. And, you know, he was a street photographer. And so he, he his, his interests were, were very much like my own. And so he showed me around this, this fantastic, place um so whereas a lot of people would would just avoid the place altogether um but yeah find find those people who are there and who have experienced it especially if they're similar to you you know if you're if you're a solo female traveler find another solo female you know that kind of thing um but it's possible to do it do do that homework do that extra work don't just sort of write places off just because you've heard something negative about them mm, i i love everything that you said about that um, because I think it's important. It speaks to openness. It speaks to curiosity and uh, you know, everybody has their own opinions and everybody has their own perspective. And we often lose sight of that and are quick to adopt what other people, especially if it's groups of people, what they're saying. And I think it's always important to reserve your own opinion in, in any circumstance, what you're saying. Um, it would be great if the world can just apply that to people. Right. Because in very many ways, as we say, like, oh, first world countries are this and third world countries are this. And I think um, most of the lessons um, my my lineage is Trinidadian and, you know, it, it quote unquote third world country. And I honestly think that place in terms of what it offers in in unity and love and happiness can teach the world a thing or two about those things. And I think that very much goes with people. And I think if you don't know, don't rely on, on what other people are saying to a certain degree. I think what you said, do your, do your research, but don't be afraid to go find out for yourself, right? Openness can change the world. If you, if you're open to being open, right? <laughs> no, I love that. Andre, thanks again for the time, man. Really, really good to talk to you and always good to keep in touch. And I look forward to more stories in the future. Yeah, I look forward to making them. But uh, yeah, and thank you. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. I'd like to close off the discussion by talking about one of the themes that had come up in the conversation, and that is options. The idea of the true dilemma may not be as real as it seems. Whenever you feel that things have come down to the wire, and you have to make a decision, always know that there are potentially more options than there appear to be in that moment. Don't be afraid in life and work 
to use your creativity and courage to think about what those options are or what they can be and just allow yourself the opportunity to explore them. It may very well be that those newly created options C through Z end up being more ideal than options A and B. So think about that for this week, explore your options, and uh, yeah, have a great one. Take care.